Thanks for joining us on Owned and Operated, where every week we will be diving deeply into our operating businesses that we own and talking about the reality of entrepreneurship, as well as diving into businesses we are considering acquiring. Today, we're going to dive really deep into Brandon's background. It's super impressive. He started his first company at 16. He ended up selling it to a competitor and ran that competitor's company for a few years. And oh, did I mention he was going to college full-time while doing it. Super impressive, a lot of great lessons, and hopefully inspiring to everybody that listens. Welcome back to Owned and Operated. All right, so today we're going to be doing an intro into Brandon and I's history. That way folks can get a good idea of where we're coming from and how we got into what we're doing. So Brandon, how about you start us off? We might as well go back to the beginning. I guess that would be, shoot, that'd be high school. I had pretty much two options where I came from. It was either play sports or work. Everybody else chose sports. So the easiest thing for me was work because why not make money instead of working for free for a football team and get your head bashed into the ground. So I chose work. And the easiest thing I came up with at the time and something that I liked doing was landscaping. So that's kind of how I got started in operations and even just business ownership. Who was your first customer? How did that really start? My very first customer was actually, it was a weird one. It was my neighbor who owned a commercial mower just because he had one. And I made a deal with him that I would cut his yard and it was massive. It was like three acres of grass. Oh my gosh. It took forever to cut. Yeah. And the deal with him was I cut his grass for free. He let me use his mower and I was able to cut anybody else's that I wanted. And you were 16. So you like, I wasn't even 16 actually at the time. I was, I think I was about 15 because I didn't have my driver's license. Okay. It was on the back of a four wheeler with a little landscape trailer. So you were able to drive it around though. Or was it just your own neighborhood? I started in just my neighborhood. And then thankfully, the first season that I kind of started growing out of the neighborhood, I got my license midway through the year. So it wasn't too bad. Definitely had to uh, play it careful, taking the four-wheeler down the road. was frowned upon by, you know, city government. <laughs> that was right when I turned 16. I was able to get my license right away. Got my first truck. Pretty much everything kind of funded itself from the beginning. So it was nice. Didn't have to borrow money. Didn't have to do anything crazy. Was able just to kind of keep it rolling as it grew, self-sustaining. So like how much in your first month or year, like do you remember numbers, like how much revenue you did? I don't remember after the beginning. If I had to bet, I was horribly priced, horrible pricing decisions when I first started. I'm pretty sure I cut yards that took me over an hour at 20, 20 bucks a yard. It was horrible. I was talking to Mike Botkin down in Florida like a few weeks ago, just bought a landscaping company. And I was talking to him because yeah, I would love to buy a landscaping company, right? And he was talking about exactly this problem, how residential prices for lawns haven't changed in like three decades because there's always a neighborhood kid yep. Yep. <laughs> who can go do it for 20 bucks. For me, that's so different compared to like plumbing and HVC, these skilled trades where you can sort of charge almost whatever you want. There's a ton of downward price pressure that's never changed in decades. It's interesting to see the big franchises of the world in plumbing came in and raised the pricing and then private equity came in and jumped the pricing up. And a lot of people followed suit with it, even if they weren't a big company. Landscaping is the total opposite. You still got, you know, your your high school kids just like I was who come in every day of the week. They're always going to be cheaper than you. Just 20 bucks. Yeah. 20 bucks. And some don't care about the quality. There's always quality differences, but it doesn't matter. If the grass is cut, some just don't care what it looks like as long as it's cut. I know one and two, you know, really small plumbing and HVAC companies. 
and they're charging like dollar for dollar what we're charging inside our flat rate, and they have almost no overhead. It's okay. So you started it up. You're doing your own neighborhood. You're 15 or 16. You kept going. Like, what does the next couple of years look like? Yeah, I pretty much used friends through the beginning of the employment. When it got big enough that I couldn't do it while still going to school on my own, I got some friends and just kind of conned them into doing it, paying for it, and it just kind of started growing from there. Went from friends to friends to friends, started getting bigger. Was this just during the summer or like? It was after school, weekends. It was horrible towards the end of the school year because I had enough that I could have worked five days a week. Yeah. But it was being crammed into after hours school and then on the weekends to get it all done. Customers loved it. Grass looked great for the weekend. No other company provides that. It was it was cool there to have some stuff like that. The real deciding factors kind of came when I graduated high school and had to figure out college. So that one played a whole different ball game. There was no easy class schedule of 8 a.m. till 3 p.m. You had all the time in the afternoon. My college did not line up that way. I was sprawled throughout the day. I had to work till dark or uh, go to school till dark. That was the challenging part. So that's when I ended up hiring more staff on to help with it. There was just not enough time of the day to get things done. And something had to grow. And at that point, it's actually my freshman year, right at the beginning, within the first week, I realized I messed up so bad on pricing, it wasn't even funny. Like too low? Oh, way too low. It worked when it was just friends and it was there, but it didn't work when you had actual people you were trying to employ, figuring out how to pay them and then why nothing was making sense. And that's when it lucked out. I went to school, got into accounting with some of my first classes and really learned how messed up my stuff was. Jumped on QuickBooks instantly, started figuring everything out learned where things were going wrong, and it was all on my pricing. It was some of the worst pricing you probably could have seen for a, a company that was trying to actually grow. How much were you doing a year in sales at that time? At that time, we were under 60, I think we were like 65000 or something like that. It was tiny. How much did you have to increase your pricing? Like double? Yeah, so majority of the accounts, the lowest we would actually touch a yard for at that point was $35 when we jumped the pricing. And that was nothing besides straight mowing. You didn't trim anything. There was no cleanup. There was nothing. It was just, you get there, you get a cut and get out. The average one, especially for my neighborhood where we end up working a lot of times, you're about 50 to $55 a cut. Is that weekly? Yes. I didn't understand the benefit at that time of monthly contracts. I was all about that just per cut. It was nice because the season went a little longer. You got your money out of it still. Was it automatically charged? No, that was all manual and QuickBooks. So did you invoice them or charge credit cards or did they give you cash or checks? Or? Invoices. Everything was cash and checks. Wow. It was old school for sure. So you're 18, you're 19, you're going to college, you're running a full-time business with a few employees. Yeah, at that time we had three. You figured out your pricing, so you had to double it. So what happens next? So I got to a point where we, we grew. I never marketed. Never really marketed. It was kind of word of mouth. You get an owner of a company, you're doing its residence, and all of a sudden you're doing their commercial property. Just kind of word of mouth, it just kind of went as it went. It got to a point where we were doing the last year before sale. If I remember right, we were somewhere around, I want to say 250. But we had some contracts lined up, which is kind of where the big problem, the deciding factor came in. The year that I decided to sell the company. We had some commercial contracts lined up that were, I don't know why, they were good quotes, but I was horribly unmanned. I had no business quoting properties like that. Big eyes, I guess. You saw it. And- it looked at it. The numbers looked great. I, in my head, said, yeah, we could figure it out. We've always been able to figure it out before. As soon as they started getting serious, I started realizing the equipment needs that would happen. And landscaping is all equipment. You know, labor is there. But at the end of the day, if you don't have the equipment, it doesn't matter how much labor you have. You're not going to clear the snow off that parking lot. 
Okay, so at this time, were you still, you're 21 or 20? 21, yep. Okay, so you're five or six years into starting. Yep. It's been a side hustle. You've been doing it after school. When did you buy your own equipment? Were you still using that one guy's mower? So that was roughly the second year. Right when I bought the truck, I started everything I always bought used and just kind of had to fix it to keep it working. That was like the second year, right when I got the truck. Bought a bigger trailer, bought some commercial mowers. We started with walk-behinds and decided that was a horrible idea. Zero returns were the way to go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. Kept in shape when I was younger. We started just kind of learning the way, and it made sense when you see the other trucks driving around. You know, why everyone had zero returns. The money had to be worth it. Yeah, it was double the cost, but something had to make sense. There's a reason why everybody else was doing it. It's kind of the hard lessons learned way of doing it. You started buying your own stuff. You're 20, 21. You're in over your head. Beyond. <laughs> Beyond. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. And you're still going to school. Yep. Full-time or part-time? I was going full-time. Full-time is considered 18 credits. At that time, I was doing 21 credits. Not fun by any means. And there was kind of, like I said, there was that deciding factor. I don't remember the exact year that that storm happened. But from anybody listening from North or South Carolina, I'm sure you vividly remember this. There was a snowstorm that came through, and it absolutely obliterated North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, West Virginia. The whole East Coast, it was just Oh, I, I, I do remember that. Was that the same one that had, like, there was snow in Atlanta? It was, like, a quarter of an inch of snow, and it caused, shut like, down. the Atlanta, like, shut down. That was crazy. That was actually where I met the person I sold my company to. Not met him, but became, I guess, called business partners with him. He had somehow gotten in with a company, a large tree company, that everybody probably knows, <laughs> uh, the they somehow secured some contracts with local governments down there to yeah. just maintain essentially emergency services, utilities, telecommunications, all that kind of stuff, hospitals, things like that. So somehow we got in with them and then we were going to go down there and actually keep hospitals, keep communication centers, big businesses open during these storms so that way everything can continue to function. And like that looks like Plowing? Or? Yeah, it was purely plowing. We brought skid steers. You couldn't even salt. It came down so fast. That storm, we drove for like 16 hours straight to get there. The reason I went to this was just, it was slow in, in Cleveland. It wasn't snowing. There wasn't snow in the forecast for a week. We said, you know, hey, why not? Drive down. It was a great opportunity to make a whole bunch of money. As John knows, that's everything I'm about is the side <laughs> hustle. I've done yeah. plenty of them. It was a thing to do, an experience. When are you going to experience that, something like that again? So we got down there. And it snowed. A bad snowstorm up here is one to two inches an hour. I couldn't even tell you how fast that came down. We drove, like I said, nonstop throughout the night, got there. I finally got to where I was, which was a, I believe it was Time Warner. It was a big telecommunication center. It had some antennas and everything. Everything had to be kept clear so they could get their trucks in and out. They are expecting lines to be down, all this crazy stuff. I got there, decided I was going to sleep for a few hours, and woke up, and I had snow almost to my window and my windshields. Totally buried in. Holy smokes, really? It was... In the Carolinas. Yeah. It happened within a matter of hours. And it just kept going. We went for... I think we ended up being down there for about... The last truck came up after a month later. So this is kind of like what's happening in Texas like right now. Yeah, it was an absolute train wreck. Nobody was prepared. And we went from that. And then when we finished up with those, those were cleared, you know, within two days after the storm. Everything was tidied up. We started doing HOAs apartment complexes, things where people were literally buried in. Their parking garages aren't even designed for that amount of weight. So we had to get skid steers on the roof of parking garages 
to clear the snow off because they were at risk of collapsing. It was just a crazy storm, and that's how I actually ended up working with him that closely. I'd known him for forever. I couldn't even tell you how long I've known him. That kind of sparked the conversation. Of, I ended up taking over all of the operations when we got down there. He's a very good on-the-spot thinker, not much an organizational. So there was a ton of stuff we had to do, paperwork, timesheets, measurement counts, all the stuff we had to submit in order to get paid. And it started, we only had maybe six or seven trucks that went down, but we had people continuously coming down. We put a Facebook post up and we had people coming down nonstop to come work with us. Why? Because you were able just to offer just a lot of money? Oh, yeah. The money you pay in snowplowers, snowplowers, it's all opportunity-based. I said it was not snowing, it was a light winter in Cleveland. The opportunity to come down and just make thousands of dollars to sit in a truck. The whole storm chasing thing is fascinating to me. You've got that story, the Texas thing right now. They're asking for plumbers from all over the country. They're probably paid nearly any amount of money. There was something in Boston a couple years ago, and I don't remember why, but a normal run-of-the-mill plumber, any one of our techs really, could go there and earn $100 an hour direct into his pay, $4,000 a week. And it was a ton of overtime, and it's interesting. I wouldn't want that life. But it'd be cool to have a business model sort of built around a rent-a-plumber or something like that. Because there's probably an emergency somewhere. And if you only have two or three guys, you could probably just make a killing flying around the country wherever the latest emergency is. <laughs> it happens even, you know, because you go from the winter and then you go to hurricane season. It was the same thing. We had sent trucks down multiple times yeah. for hurricanes with the big grapple trucks. And you'd spend weeks on end just picking up debris, cutting down trees that have been hanging, and then transforming over to a dump site. There's always a demand and always that storm chaser out there, but it's, that'd be a hectic lifestyle to live 24-7. Okay, so you got to know this guy. You started doing operations. You came back and that conversation you were 21 kind of, and you sold a company. Like, that's pretty yeah. wild. It kind of came up out of nowhere. We had all, everybody went down, met up a week or so later at a bar just to kind of talk about what the heck happened. And the conversation just started out of nowhere. I said, hey, I think I made a good team. You know, handled operations on there, great. You got the business rolling. He's real good at sales. I was good at the operations side. We should figure out something. And I had known at that point, my company was getting too big. I couldn't handle the amount of work and still go to school. I had to make a life decision at that point, drop out and operate a business and grow it to the point where I could make a living while still going to school. That was the deciding point there. I was in school and I had to decide either drop out and make it a full-time career or continue on. That decision kind of, sparked, I guess, that conversation. You know, it came up and he was open to it. I was open to it. So that's kind of really how it happened, actually, is just through that conversation decided, I still want to go to school. I intended to get a degree, so I was going to finish that. He wanted to buy the company. It got him into the independence area that he previously wasn't in. Nice high-value area. The market was good for landscaping there. It kind of worked out well. We came up with an agreement for it, decided that was the best option, and it happened within, I think, two months. It was no more than 60 days, and it went full swing. Jumped right in, just instantly took over his operations. There was a lot of changes we made. You stayed in school full-time, yeah. and you accepted a full-time position as ops manager in the new company. It was a little rough in the beginning because I still had that schedule, like we were talking about, that Monday through Friday, and it was just a train wreck. Yeah. Thankfully, after my freshman year, I was able to switch to an evening schedule. So majority of my classes didn't even start till 5 o'clock. It worked out well. In hindsight, it would have been interesting if I would have stuck it out and still own the company because I could have probably way more effectively operated that sophomore year when I switched those evening classes. I wouldn't have had such a hard time running the company. I think that moving to that new company, you probably skipped five years and you were able to suddenly start managing teams of 30 employees. That's pretty valuable. 
It was because you always have that, you know, what if, what could you have done? And I'm not by any means a sales person. <laughs> I can talk with customers. I'm great with customer service. But when it comes to that upfront sales side, not as much on me. So in hindsight, yeah, it was a good decision. He was great at sales. I knew the operations kind of filled in the weak spots and it worked. We jumped right in, decided that instead of building an entire plan or trying to build our own idea, we bought a franchise. The systems instantly were there. They were in place. It grew substantially faster. And then also the connections and things we had, uh, probably can't say what exactly they were, but they had connections with vendors. So discounts and everything that came with it, the issue points in landscaping, which is typically material and equipment costs, were hugely benefited by that. It was a relatively easy thing to just jump right in and start doing it. It didn't have a whole bunch of nuances to it. There wasn't a whole bunch of issues to deal with. My equipment came over and it just started rolling. So you started at 15 or 16. You started a landscaping company, started doing friends and family, turned into a full-time thing while you're still going to school, high school and college. It paid for your college in cash, right? So you exited with no student loans. You then sold your company and became an ops manager of the company that bought you. And you worked there for a couple of years. That was the biggest benefit of all this. And it was my main driver too, was getting out of college debt-free. Well, I mean, the whole story is honestly incredible. I think that's so baller. I've never started anything from like absolute scratch. The first thing I did was I bought something that had a 58-year history. I think starting off at 15 or 16, doing what you did, doing it full-time, I mean, that's impressive as hell. And I knew this. This was one of the main reasons that you got the job that you're in, really. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I think that that level of spark and that level of drive is incredible. It was, and I think we see it still to this day. The big joke between me and John is that uh, I like to wrap my arms around things or start hugging problems. (laughs) It's probably where it came from was the owning it. You know, it's when it was small, it was super easy. Grab your arms around it, figure it out, and just pound the problem down until it's gone. And now in a bigger company, that's not the best choice all the time. So still do revert back to my tendencies every once in a while to want to just jump in. But I think it helped tremendously, though, with some of that. You might consider common sense and operations, but it really just requires some serious thought. Do you have any other, I guess, closing thoughts on your history? Should other people do this? The barrier to entry, and I know like this is all about landscaping, but it's not just landscaping. Some industries get into the barrier for entry is so small and mine didn't exist. It was simply trading my time. I traded my time for cutting somebody else's grass to get into the industry and then built it off of the money that came from. And you were able to make a pile of money, start a company, sell a company, work for a company, exit college, debt-free, and frankly, exit college as a 23 or 24-year-old with the career experience of like a 30-something. That's incredible. If you're willing to put the time into it, it's beyond worth it. You don't have to get into something this is contrary for you. You don't have to get in just to buy it. You can start something. And even if it doesn't end up being profitable, it's a learning experience. I learned more figuring that out, like starting QuickBooks on my own. That was a learning experience itself. I feel like I know QuickBooks front and back. And workers comp. Oh, all of that. How to pay people. Incorporating, getting yeah. an LLC together and all yeah. that. That was, I didn't pay anybody to do it. I just figured it out. I started Googling and I made mistakes. I made a few of them, but there was no better learning experience than that. Nothing in college could prepare you for starting a company than just actually diving, figuring it out, make the mistakes and learn from them. All right. That's Brandon Niro. That's his history. (laughs) So we brought him on in late 2019 to be our ops manager, and we promoted him in 2020 to be our director of ops for Wilson Plumbing 
and Heating, which is our largest portfolio company. And if you're out there and you don't own a company and you're searching for whatever, Brandon and his history and everything that we just described there is like the perfect example of what we look for in our operators. He's humble. He was mowing grass. He's hungry as hell. He started the company early, sold it, worked for another one, exited college debt-free, and he's way smarter than I am. Perfect example of what we look for. And he's definitely been one of our best hires ever. Well, I appreciate that. All right. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening.